Hi, I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and you're listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Queer Teen Podcast. I'm really excited about my next guest for a lot of reasons. They came to me uh, through an email and they found me through um, uh, another human being named Daniel, who we'll talk about in a little bit too. Um, so yeah, let's have at it. Take it away. Oh, well, it's a real joy and privilege to be on QT talking to Anthony Giorgio, who I've learned to admire. I mean, I haven't done much digging, but I've learned about the show, and I'm very, very deeply honoured to be on the show. Um, gosh, where do I start? I'm a short, fat pastor. Um, I am, I'm the Reverend Dr. David Parry. Um, I live in Clapham in London, England. Um, I am uh, the, the senior pastor for a new uh, metropolitan community church, Oasis. There used to be an, an MCC presence in South London many years ago. In fact, I was part of it. Um, but for various reasons, it, it sort of vanished. And I felt that it was very, 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 very important. In our current climate, my God, I thought things like homophobia were well and truly sorted out and gone, but apparently not. Nope. So we're, we're reopening. Uh, we're opening our doors. I'm manning the barricades again after many years and turning into a fighting bear because that apparently is what's needed nowadays. Um, I'm the author of, of three books myself, some of which have won awards. Um, I am the also the author of 41 other publications talking about other people's works, um, either as prefaces or editor or comments or individual pieces, essays, uh, poems, theatricalities, which leads me, I think, to my dear friend uh, Anthony's uh, thrust, his central thrust in all of this. Um, I am also privileged to be a, a, a wobbling, barely British theatrical um, I've always loved theatre. You know, I don't think there's any disparity between those two callings. In Britain, in Europe, there's a long history of interaction between the church uh, in all of its guises and manifestations and theatre. I mean, uh, you know, with my, I've been involved in nine, ten theatrical. I'm trying to think of the, the accurate figure. I think it's ten overall, ten theatrical productions, uh, normally as director. Um, sometimes as producer, I absolutely bloody hate producing. Business, 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 business drives me up the wall. Uh, sometimes as performer, I mean, I was Alfred Hitchcock a couple of years ago. Darling, I'm method. I had my head shaved. I looked about a thousand years old. Um, mo the most recent one was as General Evolgin in Victor Sobchak's The Idiot. Um, Victor Sonchak is the best Russian impresario in the country, in my opinion. Huge brain, multi-talented. Um, I didn't think he could bring Dostoevsky's book to the stage. Um, I was proved utterly wrong. I mean, how about this for a bit of gossip? Victor, if you're listening to this, ever, we all love you to bits, so don't take it the wrong way. 
you know, I mean, it was no one's going to sit there for three hours as a builder. So the cast went into rebellion, me included. I said, look, we don't get anyone to, to sit in their chairs. You know, what's that old British expression? Bums on seats. We won't get anyone to do it. So there was a major Russian hissy fit. Yes, Victor, I'm sorry, it was a hissy fit, OK? You might be straight, love, but I know a hissy fit when I see one. Um, and we, everybody stormed out the room, but a couple of hours later, we're all back in a group hug, and we managed to cut it down to normal, normal theatrical ex expectations. I mean, I loved my character um, because in the book, he's an even more lovable character. So I managed to bring out the, the really sweet side of, of General Evolgin, who is juxtaposed in The Idiot with uh, General Ipanjin. Um People forget how modern Dostoevsky's works are. General Ipanjin, as a serving general, Evolgin is not, is an absolutely ruthless bastard, an old theological term. Therefore, I think everybody knows what I mean. Um, he, there, there are rumours that he's into all sorts of porno, pornography and child trafficking, if not more. And we've got to remember when that book was written. I mean, that is brave. So, you know, and I'm the sort of charming general that, that belongs to a different time, a more romantic period. And I'm directly opposed to him in the play because I represent the charming but the disappearing, whereas, uh, you know, Ipanchin is on the way up and he's ruthless and nasty. So we had lots and lots of fun with that. Um, uh, my own speciality is... I promise I'll shut up in a minute. No, keep going. <laughs> my own speciality is sacred theatre, right. um, which, of course, mustn't be limited. It doesn't mean people pouncing around on a stage, you know, looking holy. I mean, if that's all there is to it, and there's no hope for sacred theatre. I mean, something I'm struggling with at the minute is an old trans extension of the Christmas story, oh. which will be one of mine, which I'm hoping to bring to the, to, to the boards next Christmas. I mean, I hope that helps, Anthony. <laughs> I mean, it's always been there. Uh, queer people have been around for, since the earth started. And um, it's just now we uh, are putting language and um, more ideas into it and expanding our horizons, it seems. And with the things that I've read up on you, the theatrics is amazing because you're, cor you're correct. If you're going to get in front of people in church and speak, there is a theatrics behind that no matter what you do. I mean, I was raised Catholic, so I, that is what that is. Um, it's a very grand gesture to the people attending service at the time. Um, but I truly uh, value uh, what seems to me, according to what I've read about you and looked at you, you just being yourself and actually taking that on and not backing off. So that being said, how did you get to that place <laughs> in your life to, to, be so, to be so bold is a word, but to be so bold for that moment in your life and being like, I have to do way more than what I thought I was going to do. What was that turning point? What's your story? What's that? What was that turning point for you to be like, I got to do something? Oh my God, where do I start with that? I'll give you another insight before I, I'll have a digression. I digress just for a minute. I mean, I'm trying to talk Roseanne Barr, who's a friend of mine, believe it or not, into um, a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers act next year, but she's insisting that she's Fred Astaire. I'd, I'd make a great Ginger Rogers. I'm sorry. I mean, I'd be absolutely wonderful. I'm down. Um, 
<laughs> which you'll be invited to if we ever go any further with it. Um, oh, I'm I'm not the the sort of I'm not the sort of guy, you know. I'm sort of first generation angry LGBTQ. Okay. Um, you know, I'm one of the original. We're not taking it anymore, and we've had enough. And by the way, this is unfair, mob. Um, like all people, I suppose of my generation. I mean, I'm 62 uh, uh, this year. You know, we didn't like leading double lives. And in Britain, Britain is a strange kettle of fish. It really is. Sort of, it really doesn't like that either. You know, it would rather disapprove of you in the open than not know what it's dealing with. Uh, and that's one of the saving graces of here, where you get people like Noel Coward, of course, who yeah. was never in. I mean, somebody asked him when he came out, to which he replied he was never in in the first place. Right. Um, I, I was sort of one of those people, sadly, if I look back, who thought I was one of God's celibates uh, because I hadn't read deeply enough into the tradition. Hey, I was young at one point, too. Yeah. Therefore, you know, you tend to think at face value what you're told. You know, you're told, oh, those things can never fit together. And at that point, I hadn't read deeply enough. When the penny finally dropped, I realized that was nonsense. Uh, but, you know, when I, I suddenly one day uh, realized, oh, my God, you're gay. So I'm not the sort of person that will ever lead a double life. So I picked off all my friends one by one. By the way, I'm a screeching queer. You got any problems? And they, they you know, they all came round unsurprisingly because they, you know, they love you for for you. Uh, my family was a bit more difficult if I look back because they're good salt of the earth country people. And I remember my mother to this day, um, hol holding holding her hand against her head. And saying we completely disapprove, but by the way, you're our son and we love you. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it, it all started really from there. Um, and with me, you know, I, you, you you take things on the chin. I mean, I think the present LGBTQIA experience is actually robbing itself of, of a bit of luster and a bit of grit and a bit of heart. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We are God's creation too. There is something wonderful in the universe that loves us and loves us and loves us. And we should be very, very proud of that and take our rightful place because it's about time after all these centuries, after these thousands of years that prejudice and inhibition and all that nonsense finally stopped. So that that's sort of my journey. I mean, I'd be a, a refusal to lead a double life and I, I know, as sort of a, as an aside, there are people in the Church of England who are friends of mine that do lead double lives, which I feel very sorry about. I mean, I'm really sorry you've made those choices. Um, but, you know, that, so there was that side of it because that, they were the people originally I tried to talk to about these things. But, you know, my other world, uh, you know, the theatricality, I mean, you can't move in Britain for bobs. You know, if you're a theatrical, God's sake, the whole, Brit the whole British theatre would collapse overnight. If, you know, if we were shut up. So, no, and they were saying, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, get a new suit. What are you talking about? So, no, for me, it was never really this sort of, you know, titanic struggle, which some people seem to go through nowadays, which I'm really sorry about because that shouldn't be happening. But I tend to think maybe it's because some people, not everybody, some people are in terrible situations. Some people are robbing themselves of the joy of being able to fight back, you know, stonewall and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not happy. No, I'm not taking it. And this is me. So I don't know if that answers you, Anthony. I hope it does. 100% uh, because 
what I keep finding out is that there are, um, so this season is all about talking to different uh, aspects of it and like what everyone's journey is and what their relationship to God is or whomever that is for them. And I find that, um, I find all different things because so far I find people that have just come out of the closet and they're 41 and that was only a couple years ago versus people that were like, I came out, my com family completely disowned me, all of my friends caught me off, my, the church kicked me out, and it, I am, I'm, I know it's 2020 and, and, I sh and everyone thinks we should be progressive, but the thing is, there's still a lot of conservative um, yeah. ways of thinking because once you're inside to me what I think is that once you're inside the bubbles that we've created for ourselves in this world if you're inside a, a church community and com uh, church is supposed to be a great community you're supposed to do lots of things and help lots of people however according to the person in charge and then you can only be that person that they've decided you you could be you should be and evangelicals over here right the, the mega churches and it's just insane, um, but that's it's based off of the the dollar amount of who they want you to be, and it's real, and it becomes like a cult like environment for people, and um, and I'm I really want to I want to I do I went through a lot of journey myself with religion and spirituality and hating God, not believing in God, loving God, seeing God in all of us, um, coming up creating this idea that I believe that the person that Jesus was, was us doing what we're doing, not what they've created and the laws that they put behind the church. Um, so because there are specific things that the church created as law, I'm sure you've come up against your, your tons of things at you. I, I, what exactly religion do you practice? and school me on some because there's so many I don't necessarily want to be wrong about or ignorant about the fact what you do so tell everyone exactly what you do so then we can kind of get to that place of how you got there for that wow well I mean my background is sort of Church of England stroke Catholic my my okay. mum my mother is Church of England so she never goes to church um and my stepdad was was Roman Catholic Okay. Um, that was never really my thing. I love smells and bells and stained glass and spectacular buildings. Beautiful, yeah. But the, you know, of the sort you only get really in Northern Europe because it's different even in Southern Europe. You know, the yeah. architecture is different, the paintings are different. Yeah. And I, I love that too. But I love the sort of iciness of cold Europe. There's something you know, uplifting and frightening and wonderful in that type of architecture and art. Um, but you know. <laughs> I suppose that never really appealed to me. I'm, I'm sort of low church. I'm a low church pastor. I regard MCC as a form of congregationalism. Um, for years, I was uh, a lay minister. Right, the downside of the of, 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 of free church, everything takes forever. Everything takes forever. Yeah. You know, it's so democratic, you can't bloody move. Hmm. You know, shall we all have a cup of tea? Let's take a vote on it. No, 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 no. But, you know, it keeps everything nice and open and democratic. Um, so for years, I became uh, a Unitarian lay minister with a view to becoming a <coughs> uh, role of ministers. I felt British Unitarianism, which I loved to bits and I could easily work with again, but I, I felt it had turned more into a, a university common room than, than an active church. 
you know, the discussions were great, but, you know, what about the soup kitchens? What about helping the poor? What about helping the homeless single mothers? Yada, yada, yada. So I, I drifted into congregationalism, which, of course, in this country, I mean, that's this is the foundation of congregationalism. It started here. Um, and, of course, every single church is completely autonomous. I mean, I was linked in with the Congregational Federation. I had a church over in Shadwell for a couple of years, Coverdale and Ebenezer, which closed down. Sadly, there's another tale at some point. Um, and went to one of their conferences. You know, no one can say boo to a goose. You could turn up dressed like uh, Shirley Bassey, but because it's congregationalism, no one can say boo to a goose. But, you know, I, I felt that was the beginning of a journey. They, they, they had problems. How about this? You'll love this, Anthony. Problems that my churches were full of people. And they asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, called me old-fashioned. I believe in the gospel of love and wisdom. And all we do is talk about that. And we invite everybody with, with any faith or none to help build real community. So uh, we were packed. Imagine that. <laughs> I, yeah, imagine that. You know, So we were working with Muslims. We were working with Jews. We were working with pagans. Um, the lot, you name it, we were there and we were doing things. And that worried them worried them a lot on a structural level, I think. So I went wandering for a while when I explored um, European heathenry, which I, I... Is Christ outside Abra the Abrahamic faith? Yes, because I've been there and I've seen it. Okay. Um, I, I explored Wicca for a while and he's there. Yeah. It's there. I mean, that's, a, that's another story. But it wasn't my home. I mean, my home... Is is the Abrahamic tradition? It led me to, to some weird views that I've been that I probably need to write at some point. You know, I think there's one revealed religion which is Abrahamism, What's that? Uh, which starts with the Jews, goes through the Christians, and reaches Muslims. Wow! And uh, you know, so I and that's what we're working with at the moment. Um, you know, in, in Valentine's Hall, I mean, I'm the founder, as I say, of Valentine's Hall. Uh, an MCC Oasis in South London, uh, we've got a Muslim and a Jew sitting on our board of trustees. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, the, these are voices that need hearing. So that's been my journey. But I suppose MCC's always been my spiritual home. You know, the fact it's got such an open ministry to LGBTQI, the fact it's so incredibly progressive. I mean, I left uh, to do some searching, not not because I fell out with them. I mean, AIDS had first hit London. Um, this is why I, I've been accused of being a little insensitive to the current pandemic. I'm not. I know lots of people are suffering, and I know we've got to be careful, and we please, we've all got to care for each other. But I was at a funeral every week for a year. That's when you know there's a pandemic. AIDS hit London. The government didn't want to lift a finger. Both parties, which is why I never became British Socialist, both parties wouldn't lift a finger. Am I allowed to be obnoxious on your show? I don't know. 1,000%. Well, the, the attitude in those days, well, it's affecting a few blacks and it's affecting a few queers. So let's all just get on with our lives. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that attitude. Both sides of the House of Commons, both sides of Parliament felt that. They didn't lift a finger to help us as people were dropping dead around us. Some of the best friends I had died of AIDS. Um, the Reverend Michael Moffat, who, uh, who was MCC, we all watched him wither away. Um, he and his partner were monogamous, at the risk of giving too much away, but it was all so long ago now. His partner had had a one-night stand, got AIDS, didn't know he had AIDS, gave it to Michael. 
Therefore, we had to watch his partner go. Then we had to watch Michael go. It was the most heartbreaking experiences we, we had as a community. I got to the end of November and I said to everybody, I, I'm sorry, I love you all to bits, but I can't take any more. I've got to go and do some more searching. So that was why initially I distanced myself from MCC in Britain, but I'm now back to my real family and my real church surrounded by loving people who really want to make a go of it and lead honest lives with us all in dialogue with mainstream straight society and saying, look, you know, we're not going to go away, get used to us. And by the way, we've been here as long as you, you know, treat us with a bit of respect. So that, that I don't know if that answers. I'm, I never, I'm never good at answering journey questions. No, it did. It's uh, I, I'm Unitarian. I go to a Unitarian Universalist church here in America. And um, we literally talk about sexuality sex anything you want to talk about we'll put it up there they're very good to me i do work in india so i bring a lot of the work i do from india into my church for queer rights and um i do ton i just i'm i'm we are cut from the same cloth i i full-heartedly believe that we just the, the word community seems to get lost in so many places and so and especially church and um i just we just have to work harder and do a better job at it and no matter what it takes and hearing there's no hearing your story when the AIDS epidemic was going on versus what Corona's doing right now they're completely yes a lot of people are dying still there that's a fact and we yeah. need to take care of ourselves and wear our masks and do all that but there are there are they are completely different because the government did not care our president did not care could not say it called it a, they and, and I understand not knowing what it is is one thing but then when you do know what it is and you still don't take the time to acknowledge that this community is dying off literally every week um is absurd to me and why people compare it to now it's because yes our government our stupid piece of shit that's leaving the white house in january he did not do anything and he was a very bad example of what leadership looks like. He's not a leader. He does not know how to lead. His minions do not know how to lead. They just want to destroy, destroy, destroy. That is what, that's how we've set up our democracy here. We just, we build up, we destroy, we build up, we destroy. That's just what we keep doing. So hopefully this is a turn around come January 20th and see what happens in the next year. I'm going to hold my breath because we'll see. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, it's just, it's just, and, and I understand a country, it's a big, we live in a big country, so I understand that. And we had, we have lots of things that go on still that just do not make any sense. People think we're the freest country, yet we're the, also, we have the worst caste system that we secretly don't talk about. We don't not talk about it. We just don't. <laughs> we don't talk about the, the gap in, in wage money. We just don't do it. So there's all different things. And as far as queer people go, we have really cool voices over here that are standing up and people that I've had on my podcast that will blow your mind and they're young and they're like, we are not backing down. I mean, a, uh, a new friend of mine was just literally shouting at a cop saying, why are you making a line? Why are you doing this? We're not going anywhere. We're not being violent. We're just trying to let you know that we exist as a human being. Um, and so... But a lot of it plays to the church. It's a, it's an, ama an amazing... I mean, look what Trump did with holding the Bible in front of one of the most famous churches in D.C. And you're like, that's... Talk about theatrics. That is, like, mind-blowing. 
but that will continue to go on the rest of our lives because that's just the way we've that's the way the the, the white man created the law to like thrive so uh i just think yeah and so also a part of me saw that this tedx lambeth um which that work is that's just amazing and which is how daniel must have i don't know how he found me but he found me through i'm assuming instagram or social media and that organization and you've spoken for that can you explain a little bit what that is because i think that's like a great tool oh gosh i mean to to, to rejoin your point yeah i mean the spirit of fire island and stone will need to come back because we've nothing to be afraid of nothing you know, do your worst powers that be we're here and we're staying here don't worry not going anywhere um, yeah, we're not going anywhere. I mean, Daniele Hardy Irandust is a truly extraordinary young impresario. Uh, you know, you've got to remember, I meet a lot of people that say they are on the show beside of things, and then they're gone five minutes later, you know, goodbye. Um, he's proved to be an extraordinary, gifted, imaginative young guy. I mean, he's half Romanian, um, half Iranian. He's now a British citizen. Um, he approached me a couple of years ago to say, have you heard of all this TEDx stuff? And at that time, I hadn't. I'd heard of TED. Um, and TED struck me as incredibly important. You know, this whole idea of ideas worth sharing, the idea that there's information that's not reaching as wide an audience as it should do. I thought that was wonderful. And when I realized it was technology, education and design, um, actually, I thought, well, actually, they're right. You know, most of the big innovations in those fields have to fight their way through for oxygen and survival because of a lack of funding. So what a brilliant idea, but I hadn't heard of TEDx. TEDx, of course, is simply a locally organized TED event. Uh, it took Dan four months to get the license. Uh, I, I hate, I've, I've seen my fair share of paperwork through the years, you know, and he was being inundated with, with it on a weekly basis. And I thought, oh my God, I mean, there's not much I can do. I, you know, I help where I can. So he said, what are we going to do? Um, and I said, well, let's hold it at a Royal Society. I mean, that seems like a good idea. Um, so we ended up, I mean, he's a fellow. He's a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. Um, we held it there for the simple reason. It was, it's a really good venue. What's the Royal Society? Um, it's a venue. Royal Society of Arts, RSA. Oh, of Arts. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, it's not much to do with arts anymore. It had a history of it. It's all businessmen now on their calculators. Yeah, and I'm 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 a I'm a fellow there, but my, my real fellowship is with the RAS Royal Asiatic Society for all sorts of reasons. But you know, Royal Societies, I think they're a unique treasure to Britain because they can they offer these spectacular venues and then run around you trying to make projects work. I don't think that that exists in too many places. We approached them. We had some difficulties, but we overcame them. Dan organized uh, uh, 10 speakers, including a theatrical performance, um, some singers. So I was a speaker at the first one. He then, in, very kindly, uh, with Harold M.P. Giorostikov, an, uh, an Austrian um, artist of, of, of great fame. I mean, he's a, a very good friend of mine, a, a very famous artist. Um, they liked what we did the first year. Um, against all the odds we hold the second leg this year, there was a gap between lockdowns. Um, a couple of weeks, and I thought, right, let's be cheeky. And uh, Dan said, right, how do you want to be cheeky? And I said, well, let's do some events. You know, 
because we can follow all the rules and hold events. It's not an either or. You know, I don't understand these people that think, you know, it's one or the other. I don't get that. I don't get so it. So we did either. all the social distancing. We did all the hand lotions. We did all of it. And we managed to put on um, quite a significant second leg, TEDx Lambert Part 2, again at the RSA. Our patron is now Her Royal Highness Princess Catherine of Yugoslavia. Um, it's, uh, Catherine, if you ever listen to this, love, it's said with, with, with humility. It's like Prince Charles in a dress. You know, I mean, she looks so much like him. It's like Prince Charles in a dress. So we had great fun doing all that. We had our victuals. We had our afternoon tea. And, you know, hats off to him. And round of applause, he pulled it off. And everybody had this great time. I believe he's planning another one next year. I hope I'm privileged to be included because there's just a tiny bit more about pop art and expressionism I want to talk about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, more power to his elbow. I know he's going from strength to strength. We're beating uh, Tenex London now in figures. Um, right. I'm, I'm really weird. weird. I'm, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to social media. But, you know, I know what figures mean. So we've yeah. got more followers, blah de blah, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And we're, we're, why? Because we're focusing on diversity. We're focusing on inclusivity. It's not enough to just say borders need to be abolished, whatever. Right, so that's the negative. What are we doing that's positive? And we decided to do that. Let's focus on all the juices that will make the future bubble into perfection. So we're looking at the small guy, the small community. We're looking at empowerment. We're looking at, you know, how people find a voice when they've never been given a voice and how to let them loose on a much wider public with a vision that maybe they've never had the opportunity to share before. So the whole of TEDx Lambeth is a very, very exciting project. I mean, Lambeth is known in the press as a troublemaking borough. So we've got that sort of problem over here too. You know, once the press have a, have a useful handle, then they like, they like doing that. At Brixton, of course, is largely Jamaican. I'd love to see someone in, in the press. Sorry, is there a problem with that? But you never get the chance, you know that, Anthony, to face them, you know, face to face. You know, what do you actually think? You never give them the chance. No, they don't they don't want that. They're like they, you, they don't want that. They want to just tell you, but they don't you yeah. know, they don't want to come face to face. Because I will gladly take that on and I have, but they literally do not want to come face to face with that and i'm like i am an intelligent person to have a conversation with you because i've done my work and my homework you can assume yeah. whatever you want to assume but i will tell you what i'm doing versus you telling me what you think i'm doing i don't like that so and that's why i started this podcast because i kept hearing that often in the queer community especially for queer youth and i you know i've had some young trans out trans kids at like 9 10 11 years old and they're telling their story and they're the ones that should be telling their story because the 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 headline should not tell you the story. It should come out of their mouth. And they really fight that. And they meet all over the world. No matter where you go, they'll still fight that. The closest thing that I actually enjoy is Al Jazeera News. It's one of my favorite news shows to watch because when they even come over here and they do stories, they actually tell everybody's story versus just one side. So I appreciate that. I don't know what the politics are behind that, but I do appreciate them telling you the whole side, even if it's the bad side or the good, whatever that is. Um, and and so I'm going to segue, actually, because this is something I want to talk about. So I'm going to segue. Speaking of um, a side to another person, your alter ego, 
you mentioned a little bit uh, called Caliban, which is from The Tempest. I had to do my little research there just to make sure I knew what I was talking about. Is what is that for you? Because I appreciate that in more ways than you can ever imagine. Um, tell us a little bit about because it was in your your little on on your website. It's in your passages of like explaining why you wrote your other two books, poetry and theatrics and all that stuff. So explain to you what that is for for yourself. Oh my god! Certain people think it's me, and I'm talking about me in disguise, which I'm not. That's what it comes across. (laughs) I had had some learned academic who'd better remain nameless who came up and hugged me years back and said, oh, I didn't know you felt like that. And I couldn't work out what he was talking about until I realised he'd read the book. (laughs) No, I mean, I suppose he's a part of me because he's the misfit. He's the ultimate misfit. Exactly. Um, You know, I mean, I loved, I loved, I mean, The Tempest is Shakespeare's last play where he's writing the whole play Mm -hmm. um and it caught my attention years ago because it really it's a defense of the open mind um his one of his best mates back in those days was dr john d who was a practicing magician um elizabethan uh polymath uh, uh, i mean he invented he he started laying the groundwork for celestial mechanics but that's in elizabethan london that's how far ahead the brain was I mean, new scientist called him a couple of years ago a modern brain in Elizabethan body. So, you know, people simply didn't know what he was talking about. So having an interest in esotericism plus doing stuff that no one else could really understand made a few people nervous. Sure. And so he yeah. ran into some trouble. Um, and Shakespeare took umbrage. Got you it. know, so what are we meant to do? What are we meant to do? You know, arrest anybody with new ideas. What are we meant to do? Right. So he Prospero in the play. But when I, I mean, it's haunted me, that play. I don't think it's the best play. Everything he does, Shakespeare, for God's sake, you know, everything he does is a masterpiece, but not always on the same one's a little, that one's a little thick, and that's, yeah, there's a, not everything I enjoy about it. I've seen a lot, and that's, I wouldn't say I enjoy all that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. not every single bit, not every. And plus, it also depends on who's putting it on and how it's done and all that stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that. Some of the worst Caliban's I've ever seen, I normally walk out of a performance these days. Either he's a milksop, you know, begging for approval, or he's this sort of threatening guy that you think, oh, my God, I didn't, don't want to make him in a dark alley. I do not yeah, like but... characters like that either when they play them. The, the first one you said, the way he's playing, I'm like, oh, this this character. I'm like, can you just be, like, not yeah, aggressive, yeah, yeah. but not that? <laughs> Something in the yeah, middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I, you know, I love Peter Greenaway's Prospero's books, which, of course, is The Tempest in film. I love Sir John Gielgud as Prospero. You know, he was born to play that role. You know, the ultimate Oxford Don dressed in these spectacular robes. But, you know, Caliban in that production, I mean, he's a ballet dancer, I think. You know, I remember saying to somebody I was with when we were at the cinema, I wish that man could keep his legs on the floor for five minutes. All I'm doing is watching his legs in the air, and I can't listen to what he's saying. Right. Uh, but you know, what haunted me, and I know you're a dancer, that's no criticism. Yeah, all right, make a dance in Caliban, just bloody do it. Don't have this half house, you know, this halfway house. Right. What struck me about that particular play, which is why it's haunted me for years, is the best poetry in the play is actually in Caliban's mouth. Now, when Shakespeare is using pure poetry, there's normally a reason. To this day, I've never actually quite found out, nearly quite, not not quite settled on what he's getting at, apart from the fact 
It's don't undervalue the misfit. It's as simple as that. Yeah. You know, I, I hate the last scene. I hate the closing scene. You know, where Prospero drowns his books and breaks his staff, or is it the other way around? So, right, you want to you want to stop being a wonder-working magus and go back to being a boring politician? That makes no sense to me. But you know, when when Miranda says, "Oh, brave new world," and Prospero says, "Yes, we're taking Caliban back to Milan with us," and you think, "Oh, that's interesting." So the ultimate misfit isn't simply being pushed away. He's being included. And I think that, that that scene needs unpacking. So, yeah, I mean, he became an alter ego, whether I liked it or not. Yes, I can admit he's a part of my personality. But at the same time, oh, no, he's far too angry. Caliban was an angry guy. And he says loads of things I disapprove of. And I'd love to be able to tell him one day that was a bit harsh. <laughs> but, you know, to be true to the character, I had to write the, the, the initial two books as character studies so yes it got me into a bit of trouble i think along the way but it's not me oh my god it's not me i'm david <laughs> <laughs> but being um being mischievous is the, the the most uh i guess freeing attribute one can have and it's very people often say you have confidence how do you do this how do you speak and i was like i only do the things that i absolutely love and have passion about so for me to get up in front of 50,000 people would never make me nervous because I'm going to speak on the thing I, I have passion about. And I know that if even 10 people understand or get inspired by the thing that I've gone through or the or the journey that they're about to go through, whatever that is, that doesn't ever, that, that's my confidence. Am I insecure in other ways? A thousand percent. I mean, I we all question ourselves especially when we say something that's quote unquote radical in Caliban's way and like whatever, like being a, but, and it lends itself to the work that you can do. And yes, are people going to be critical and say certain things? Sure. Are they really going to ever say it to you? Probably not because people are scared and they're also mad at the fact that you get to do you. I mean, for you, from my perspective is like, you're in the church, you're doing, you're speaking for the LGBTQI plus community. You're standing up and you're taking a stance. To a lot of people, a lot of people hate that. But there's, I would say there's more people that respect that and, and, and value that. I really do. I don't believe that we have. I mean, love, I know it's so cliche, but love does actually always win and thrive forward. There's nothing historically that's that, the, that bad ever won. It might seem like that bad has won sometimes. But even the worst disasters and the worst moments in life, something comes out of that. Like right now, what's going on with COVID? And so there are the strangest things coming out of this that I hope, I hope as a society as a whole, we can take to heart, especially here in America right now. Like I really hope that we take this and run with it. And like, especially in the queer community, because I see things in commercials. Like, it's so interesting when I go, I love to travel. My husband and I love to travel to Europe a lot. And we're way behind. We actually are very far behind compared to what you guys do as far as like, as far as like theater goes and really and like, and being um, what seems to be like a more of a prominent voice in the queer community and like going to like Berlin or something like that. You're like, you see these things and I know what it took to get to these places over there. But over here, it's so funny because we're so 
we're 10 steps behind. When I hear something that happens in Europe, I'll hear about that two years later here or three years you know, later here. Um, so and the same thing when I go to India, right? So they just a couple years ago got rid of the law that decriminalizes homosexuality. And I always tell people when I go to India, I treat it like it's 1965 because they were ruled by, you know, British Parliament, Britain for 265 years. They're still trying to get past that. And it's 2020. Same as someone came, they came, you all came over here, colonized, destroyed, and we're still, and, and start, we all start to enslave people over here and we're still trying to get out of that. So it's different the way that the, the, the older countries versus the newer countries, if you can even say that. I just find that I just find it fascinating, and a lot of it's through religion, and a lot well, of. I it's... mean, you, you've got to remember, Anthony. There are two Europes. You know, there's the Europe of the the powerful and the niche, and then there's the Europe of the sort of the ordinary guy, the ordinary woman, the ordinary trans, the ordinary queer. You know, I mean, we've got to remember that Europe itself is at war with itself and has been for over a thousand years. You know. <laughs> I, yeah, it's time for uh, I, right. This is a cliche. <clears throat> Maybe not forget, but it is time to forgive and look for new models. You know, we're we're all family at the end of the day, and if we can just take a few steps forward in recognizing our common humanity, that really opens the floodgate for collective salvation. I mean, you know, Period. I think we're going to give each other a bit more slack. Yeah. You know, that was then. This is now. They should have known better than they didn't for all sorts of reasons. And it's always wise to remember, you know, if, I mean, even liberal liberal Britain, I mean, most of the innovations which are which are under attack at the moment as we speak, yeah. you know, it took the liberals, the Whigs, and I'm a self-confessed Whig, W-H-I-G, it took 300 years to introduce, you know, something healing there, something health-giving somewhere else. And they start coming into more prominence under George III, um, when, <clears throat> excuse me, the Prince Regent, the King, of course, wasn't mad. The madness of King Georgie wasn't mad. He actually had some sort of uh, disorder in his central nervous system. I can't remember. Somebody told me what it was. I can't remember. You know, where his urine is coming out blue. So nowadays it could be identified. Obviously, in those days it couldn't. Um, and, you know, the, the basically people in the Reform Club, I believe it started then, the Liberals were coming together as a counter court around the Prince Regent to say, look, this can't go on. You've got a monarch that now can't govern, but he's still in charge. You know, this madness has to stop. So what we've done, I oh, God, Uncle David's speaking for the whole of Europe. Forgive me, everybody. I know it's ridiculous. What I think we've done is we've taken incremental steps of a progressive nature to say, look, you know, this, this is ridiculous. And by the way, it's ridiculous because it won't work. <clears throat> you know, so I, I think we've got to accentuate the positive in the years ahead and keep up those liberal innovations, you know, step by step by step. I love youth. I love youth of today. But my one criticism, if I had a criticism, and I don't really, perhaps the word criticism is wrong, reservation. My one reservation is they now want utopia now. You know, now, 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 now. Oh, God, so do I. I just don't think it's possible. But what I do know is that step by step by step led to an increasingly liberal and liberalizing Europe. And that mustn't be forgotten because it was the progressive steps that led to where we are now and led to wonderful countries like Holland 
and wonderful countries like Sweden, which genuinely are advanced, and even the British government doesn't want to talk about them. You know, the way the Swedish handled COVID-19, they had a rational conversation, excuse me, I'm just about to choke, between their governing bodies and the population, you know, real democracy. That was how they didn't have to introduce, that was why they didn't need to introduce lockdowns. Everybody was social distancing because they'd agreed to. They all eat healthily, you know, they got a great health service. So surprise, surprise, it doesn't hit them in the same way. No. You know, and if you tell that to somebody here, by the way, Sweden has disappeared from British news because they don't like what it's saying. Right, you know, so, so in other words, us evil commoners are sensible. We do have brains and things can progress. So, no, I'd say, you know, yeah, is utopia possible? I mean, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm bound to say yes. But, you know, maybe not instantaneously and maybe the lesson of our of our forefathers, our foremothers, the great shamans of the past, you know, the great innovators was tiny step by tiny step by tiny step means you'll reach nirvana. So just hold on, hold tight and keep the faith. That's it. Um, well, that's actually a great place to wrap up with you because uh, I could talk to you for seven hours. Um, but, you know, uh, I digress. So... I appreciate your time. I appreciate the work you're doing. I hope this forms a friendship and I want to get over there and meet you in person at some point, bring the podcast and do all the things um, and really continue the conversation with queer and faith and and really just start to bridge these gaps, close them up. And it's going to take a while. And I agree with you. The youth just want it right now. And I'm like, well, you're also talking about hundreds of years of uh, systematic racism and oppression and homophobia. So give it a second. It, it's going to take the time. Let's work together and let's keep moving forward. And I usually ask my guests words of wisdom for queer youth. What's a small tidbit of um, wisdom that you could lend yourself to queer youth specifically? Oh, that's easy. Christ is within you. Believe in yourself. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something because the answer is you can. To thine own self be true, as Shakespeare said. Believe in yourself and everything will be fine. And where can they find you? Gosh, I'm on... <laughs> um, despite everything, I'm on all the social, social media outlets that I wish I wasn't. You were, I'm on all you the are, social media outlets. Well, no, you just got to nowadays, you know. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. There are some amazing pictures of me bearing my stomach, which, yes, is huge nowadays. I'm 62, sorry, live with it. You know, uh, you can find me through dparry777. Uh, mostly I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has got to start working one of these days. No, you know, it can't keep saying it's the new kid on the block. Uh, actually, you're not, so start working properly. You know, and, um, oh, what's it, Twitter, Instagram, what's the other one? Facebook. Oh, TikTok and Facebook. Anyway, all the usual stuff. I'm easy to find. And, you know, I always love a good chinwag. So I'm sure this has started a good friendship. And I look forward to you coming across here so we can do some stuff. You know, we need some more innovation. We need some more innovation. And the more, the merrier. So that's how you can find me. I'm, I'm not a shrinking violet and I don't hide. Get in touch and have a chinwag. Thank you so much, David. You can find David at davidwilliamperry.com. 
And for those of you that are not from uh, the UK, a British, the British term for chinwag is a friendly conversation. I mean, the British translation for chinwag is a friendly conversation. And certainly we did have that, and it was all over the place, which is fabulous, but it really was grounded inside of what David does and what I truly believe that we all should be doing, and that is building a great community and educating everyone um, and using our voices uh, in the best way possible so we can all do this together. Through God or whomever, in faith and spirituality and anything that you want to practice or not practice, just give yourself some room. Just, just give yourself some room. And of course, I want to thank my on-air sponsor, Michael J. Karbrowskis. And I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio. Thanks for listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. And remember, listen, learn, love.